The National Transportation Safety Board is often among the first to arrive when an airplane or train crashes. Its expertise is renowned. But the Government Accountability Office found the NTSB needs to tighten up its own performance planning, in particular connecting its strategic goals with its mission of transportation safety. The Federal Drive got more from the GAO's Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues, Heather Kraus. We initiated this work at the request of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, the chair, as well as the chair of the Aviation Subcommittee. You know, Congress over the years has expressed some concerns about the timeliness of NTSB's accident investigation reports. So, you know, quality of some of their accident investigation data and really whether they had sufficient staff to conduct its work. And so we were asked to do a fairly broad review looking at various aspects of NTSB operations and management. And so you, you note the you know strategic planning and sort of performance planning was certainly one area that we looked at. But the other areas we focused on as well was looking at you know how are they using or sort of improving their ability to use data for decision making. We also looked at you know workforce planning and are they ensuring that their workforce has the skills it needs to carry carry out its mission, as well as looking at some of their policies and procedures related to the security of their information systems and data. That's really important because the NTSB has been viewed as the gold standard, and not just in the United States, but worldwide, for the ability to assess and figure out what happened when something went wrong in aviation going back many years. They are often called in for international disasters that did not even involve the United States or a U.S. carrier because of what they know. So it sounds like if they're not careful, that could get a little tarnished. I mean, I think there's a number of things that the NTSB has done to improve in the areas that we looked at. Around the area of performance planning in particular, you know, we did find we were looking specifically at are they meeting the content requirements of and sort of the federal content requirements of some of their performance planning documents like strategic planning, their annual performance plan, their annual performance reports. And so, you know, those types of requirements are really important for agencies like NTSB to follow because they can help us hold those agencies accountable for achieving results. And so in some instances, we did find that they had carried out those activities, but they didn't necessarily include a description of those activities in those documents. We were really looking at the documents and what they contain. But we did find some areas of improvement in particular uh, and really what are fundamental tools to federal performance management. You know, you had mentioned is, is establishing strategic goals that really align with their mission. They established strategic goals, and that was really targeted around operational efficiency, process improvements, and preparedness for emerging technologies. You know, those are really important efforts, but, you know, what you want to do to ensure your activities within an agency are supporting your mission is really have those strategic goals linking to the mission and ensuring that they support and connect to broader outcomes the agency hopes to achieve. I guess it's fair to say then that in the type of work that they do, accident investigations and coming up with causes, which lead to improvements in safety for whatever systems involve their trains or planes and so on, that there is a need to keep up with technological advances in maybe forensics, in aeronautics, in I don't know, whatever it is that goes into these particular accidents and happenings, that they do need to stay current. And so that even if they understand that, somehow it has to be tied to that safety mission. And you found that sometimes they sounded like nice strategic goals, but they weren't tied directly to safety. Right. So I think, you know, an NTSB in, in commenting on our report did acknowledge some of the steps that they're looking to do to take to try to respond to our recommendation, but then also make those links and address some other issues that we found in terms of those content requirements. 
We're speaking with Heather Krause. She's Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And is the issue that they just simply didn't do the paperwork right for government standards in writing strategic plans? Or was the thought really missing for that connection between strategic goals and and mission goals? I mean, I think there were a couple of different deficiencies we found in terms of those content requirements not being fully met. And so in some of those instances, they had carried out the activities, but just hadn't put that into the plan. So as an example, strategic plans should really have how the agency's strategic goals and objectives incorporate input from congressional consultations. You know, NTSB did speak to us about how they had obtained input from Congress in developing its strategic plan, but that wasn't in kind of the plan itself. So that's something that they can... You know, work to work to improve in terms of some of the other areas, which are a little more you know fundamental to you know ensuring their progress being made to achieving the mission. One example was you know they had annual performance plan goals for fiscal year 2023, along with some you know related indicators. But what we found is the majority of those goals you know weren't quantifiable or measurable, which doesn't meet the requirements. A lot of them were really you know most of those were about completing a task or creating a process, which makes it difficult to engage gauge progress over time, like progress towards NTSB's goal of establishing like a repeatable capital planning process, for example. And getting to some of the substantive issues here, they have modal offices, aviation, highway, marine, and of course, pipelines, hazardous materials. And the number of staff is surprisingly low. There's not even a couple hundred people in the whole place that look at these things. Talk more about the human capital issues and human capital planning that they need to do because everything they do comes down to really smart people looking through wreckage. Yeah, I mean, people is is a, a large resource for the NTSB to carry out their mission and their work. You know, we found that the NTSB had taken some recent steps to determine whether its workforce, you know, had the skills it needed to carry out the agency's mission. But what we found was those efforts, you know, don't provide a comprehensive information on the skills that the staff need how many staff, you know, have those skills and where those skill gaps exist. And so some of the things that they have done, you know, in 2022, NTSB issued a survey and held listening sessions with their staff to identify training needs, but that, you know, those efforts didn't include all mission critical staff as leading practices would really recommend. And so in addition, NTSB, you know, doesn't have a consolidated inventory of current staff skills. You know, without having that kind of information about, you know, what are the skills you need across, you know, all your mission critical occupations and staff, as well as what the skills they currently have, you know, NTSB is really hampered in its ability to identify where they have those skill gaps and and how to fill them. And it's not like they have to look across a population of 12,000 either here. Again, it's not even a couple of 100 people on the expert. So just review then your top line recommendations and did they agree with most of them? Yeah, absolutely. So we ended up making six recommendations across the the various areas, which included things like working to meet those content requirements in those three performance planning documents, working to really assess the the skills needed, as well as the skills that staff currently have to better understand the skill gaps, as well as improve the use of labor cost data, something that they've been working on for a while. NTSB didn't take a specific position on our recommendations, but stated that our report really reinforces the areas that their leadership team has been actively targeting to improve. They also pointed out a number of activities that they're taking to respond to our recommendations. 
All right. So this has real consequences. Would an example be, say, in the skills gap? 40 years ago, if you were examining a plane crash, you looked at certain things. In the most recent famous incidents of that software system that was aboard the Boeing planes, that capability, that that whole domain of technology was not even extant on planes at one time. That would be an example of where they would need to have their staff expertise keep up with what the latest things are, in, in this case, aviation, versus what they might have had to know 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the the advances in transportation-related technologies, as well as the growth in the transportation sector, make it that much more important that the NTSB understand the skills that it has and that they're most efficiently using their resources. Heather Krause is Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues at the Government Accountability Office. We'll post this interview along with a link to her report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Fly with the Federal Drive. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage 
all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it. Okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching that vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right. When I'm standing there and I feel this, and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, d describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that, believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed, uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things, and that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have 
multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest. Here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. You, yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm gonna have to elaborate on two. Yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother. You know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.